But this is the first time I'm preaching here, which is quite exciting. And they give me a good passage as well, which is even more exciting. Um, but so I'm uh, married to lovely Martha over here, and um, just a shout out to anyone who is at home who has enabled you to be here. Um, thank you, um, and thank you to my in-laws who do so much for us as well, because we've got two little kids, um, Ava who's three and Solly who's uh, six months, um, and they're an absolute joy. But it's um, yeah, that's what occupies my life when I'm not here and not working and not running at 5 a.m. in the morning. But um, quick background, so I started following Jesus when I was about 16, I was at a youth talk and uh, someone said, if you're a Christian and you haven't read the Bible, well you probably should do something about that, and I started and it took me until I was on the road to university to finish it, but um, I got it done eventually, uh, so yeah, that, that uh, challenged me, that actually if, if the Father God who was introduced there is real, it's probably worth following, um, and a quick synopsis of the following 20 years, I think the more I've risked, the more joyful it's been. Um, the times when I've played it safe, it's been a bit boring. Um, but yeah, there's times when I, I moved to a city with about 50 quid left on my credit cards and uh, God provided and that was awesome. I left that city with a PhD and um, money coming into my bank and a wife. So that was a, a good testimony. Um, anyway, I'm excited to be here tonight. Um, yeah, it's, it's an awesome passage and but I'm, I'm passionate about people seeing, seeing people get free in Christ and finding out who they are, who their God is, and letting that transform who they are. And I think this passage is an exciting one for doing just that. So I'm going to say a prayer and then jump in. Father God, thank you for meeting with us already. Um, we just come humbly before you and ask you to speak tonight. I pray that you would help me find the words, and I pray you'd help... Everyone have ears to hear whatever you're saying, um, and then a heart to step out and do it. Amen. So, tonight's passage is Luke 7, verse 11 to 17. That's page 135, big number 7, small number 11. Um, and a little bit of context. So, Jesus has just called his disciples. He's got a crowd of people following him. They're super excited. Um, he started leaving that place and... Uh, the centurion came and said, can you heal my son? And Jesus said, yeah, sure, I'll come to your house. And the centurion was like, no, don't worry, just say the word and it'll be done. So he says the word, it's done. We're off to a good start as, as Jesus' followers. From that place, they're now walking kind of southwest from Lake Galilee. So imagine you've got a big lake. We're down southwest corner, heading up into the hills, and we're heading towards a village there. So soon afterward, soon after all of that, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying, with her. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, all right. Now, I think sometimes it's easy to hear a story like that or any kind of story about Jesus and 
think it's some kind of semi-fictional account of some delusional people from a long time ago. Um, and you kind of skip over the details and just kind of almost laugh it off that, yeah, okay, sure, he, he, he went up to a funeral and, and raised someone. Okay, cool. Um, but tonight I want us to try and bridge that gap between that, them then and us now and learn, okay, what is it for us? What's God saying to us to emulate as 21st century disciples of Jesus? So part of my journey uh, to Christ involved Soul Survivor, which is a big youth festival um, that used to happen every summer. And there was one speaker in particular who um, really stood out to me. Uh, he was a visiting speaker, and he just spoke with authority. Whenever you've been in the room of someone who you know has walked with God and um, seen amazing things, I don't know, something about it, the way he spoke, just um, his, it, my ears pricked up, and I wanted to hear everything he had to say. Um, this is my memory of, of, of his testimony that he shared then. So he got married at about um, in his late teens, and him and his wife were, were wildly passionate for God. So they decided they're going to find the most remote place possible, the most unchurched part of the world, and um, get in a boat and go there. So they flew to Indonesia, they got on a boat, and they um, found uh, an island of a bunch of people that didn't speak English, and they didn't speak Indonesian or, or whatever the tribal language was. So they're off to a good start. And this is their honeymoon. They arrive on day one, and they're really excited because um, the tribe has laid out this lovely feast. There's two lines in the, um, in the tribal village, and everyone's having a meal. So I think this is a great time to arrive. It's a, it's a feast day. They enjoy the feast, and then something happens, which they don't understand. The two tribes turn and go into the woods, and they're looking at each other, wondering what on earth's going on. Now, apparently in the custom there, this is the beginning of a tribal warfare. They have dinner together, and then they go out and kill each other. And so when Jim Yost and his wife realized what was going on, they turned to each other and decided, oh, we should go and try and stop this. So they split up uh, on day one and go and try and stop people from killing each other they've never met in the woods. Um, you can see when someone like that starts preaching at you, you're like, I think I'm going to listen to what you've got to say, because you're still here, and that was 30 years ago, so tell me your stories. Well, the fun stuff was, so he, he carried on ministering to that tribe for years, um, and I think it was eight or nine years before they'd, they'd um, preached the good news, they'd preached Jesus, they'd had Bible studies with people, but they hadn't seen great conversions. They'd seen a few people be interested and want to take it further. Um, I think they were respected as people within the community, um, but, but the kind of idea of Jesus wasn't really getting through until one day they, um, they saw a commotion down by the riverside. And uh, as I remember, there was a, a gathering of people around the canoe and um, there was a lot of wailing and sadness and they wondered what was going on so they rushed down to the riverside um, and they saw them bringing up uh, a young boy who was no longer breathing and it turned out that the village chief's son had died whilst they'd been out on the boat I don't know whether he had drowned or, or what had happened but um, and obviously the whole village is then in mourning about the fact that this son has died and um, it's a challenge right they've preached death and resurrection of Jesus and um, Jesus talks about how greater works than I have done, you will do, is because I go to the Father. So here's this opportunity to put your faith into practice. Like, what do they do in that situation? And praise the Lord, he's a man of God who feared God and had walked with him for years. So asked God to step in and help and prayed for God to bring the boy back to life. And hallelujah, that boy came back to life. He started breathing again. His heart started beating. And he was able to return his boy to the village chief, the father, who was dead and was now alive. That was amazing. Um, yeah, praise God for that. Um, obviously, maybe not obviously, but revival and salvation was a lot easier after that happened. Right. 
Like you can, you can preach the good news, but if you can actually demonstrate the power of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, a work in someone's life that you really care about, that really matters. And then if it's the village chief, of course, he's got a lot of, of weight um, and say over then what the rest of the village does. So, yeah, that story really struck with me, as you can probably imagine. Um, but obviously it's a challenge. That's in kind of deepest Indonesia, cross over into the UK and into Cambridge, I mean, I'll risk it, but say, I think we often live with a fear of death. So this idea of, of resurrection can seem completely fanciful because the, fear of, the, the idea of death can feel something that we just um, never want to touch or have the idea of. And I mean, first bit of good news tonight, or maybe not the first bit, a bit of good news tonight. Like Jesus has conquered the power of death. So he has risen from the dead. He can raise people from the dead, but he has also um, defeated the sting of death. And that means that people may die but the pain can be healed and he can bring comfort and he can bring healing. Um, one other quick story to share before I jump into to looking at what Jesus did. Um, I don't know if you've heard the song Raise a Hallelujah. It's a Bethel music song. Has anyone heard the story behind that song? A couple of people, maybe not. Okay, so that story is written from um, a place of real intercession. So worship can be our warfare and we can often take this place through our singing of declaring prayers um, that we'd get bored saying. Like sometimes you sing a chorus like, I want to see you 20 times. And if you were just saying that out around and around and around, you might get bored. But singing it, there's a, a, a greater propensity to keep going and digging in for faith. So there's a couple called Jonathan, David and Melissa Helser. And they're part of um, the Bethel music team. And one of their producer's sons was taken into hospital and was getting severely ill and was going down and down and downhill to the point where his heart had stopped. And so they're helpless, like they're miles away in a different state in the, in the United States and wondering what to do. But they're worship leaders, so they sit at the piano and just start playing some repetitive chords and start um, singing whatever comes to mind. And those, this, that song was written from that place of interceding for that boy. So I'll raise a hallelujah, I'll sing in the middle of the storm and, and as they were singing and declaring that, they were joining with um, hundreds of others that were praying for that boy. And I think his name's Skylar. I should look it up. There's a, you can find the YouTube video of them sharing the story. But yeah, that, that boy's like, heart came back beating and he made an amazing recovery. So within three days, I think it was, he was back at home and he was medically dead, but then he was alive again. Um, which is awesome. So like next time you hear that song, like raise a hallelujah, I'm standing in the middle of my enemies. Like it's, sometimes it's amusing when you're sitting that in church because you look around, you're like, are these my enemies? Why am I standing in the midst of my enemies? But like actually that song is written from a place of intercession. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting way where they were able to look into heaven, get a glimpse of what God wanted to do on earth and, and pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth. So, okay, all of that just to say, like it might be rare. We might not hear it a lot. But resurrection stories do exist, uh, and it's pretty exciting. And there's a bunch of others I can tell you about um, that I've heard from different people. Not yet seen anyone I've prayed for raised from the dead, but I don't think I've ever prayed in the room for someone who was dead. So, hey, we'll see what God does in the next few years. Um, so I, I want to encourage us all to, to walk knowing that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us. That is available for us. Um, but I also hold that intention that I appreciate for many of us, we've lost loved ones, and that's something that we need to reconcile with. Um, but again, praise God, Jesus has started his, his mandate talk saying, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. 
So Jesus isn't, isn't short of that, and we see that in the passage. So let's jump in. Actually, before I jump in, I really want to read that from an, another translation. So this is called um, the Passion Translation, and it tries to um, capture the, the essence of the text, but then put it into modern-day language. Um, you can find it in New Version if you look for the TPT version. New Version's a Bible app if you're not aware of it. So shortly afterward, Jesus left on a journey for the village of Nain, with a massive crowd of people following him, along with his disciples. As he approached the village, he met a multitude of people in a funeral procession who were mourning as they carried the body of a young man to the cemetery. The boy was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. When the Lord saw the grieving mother, his heart broke for her. With great tenderness, he said to her, Please don't cry. Then he stepped up to the coffin and touched it. With the pallbearers coming to a halt, Jesus said to the corpse, Young man, I say to you, arise and live. Immediately the young man moved, sat up, and spoke to those nearby. Jesus presented the son to his mother, alive. A tremendous sense of holy mystery swept over the crowd as they witnessed this miracle of resurrection. They shouted praises to God, saying, God himself has visited us to bless his people. A great prophet has appeared among us. The news of Jesus and this miracle raced through Judea and the entire surrounding region. So, yeah, I think the remainder of this um, talk, I'm going to take what, we've, what we see Jesus doing and apply it to a broader context, because I appreciate we probably don't face, we're probably not in the room with dead people often. And so that kind of opportunity to hear whether God is asking you to pray for them to raise the dead might not come very often. And I quite like, um, I guess, applied theology, but I quite like living out the works of Jesus and trying to be the best follower of him I can be. So the rest of this kind of talk is to, to explore, okay, how can we take those principles that we see Jesus living out there and apply them to how we should live our lives here? Um, and the way I like to approach generally reading Jesus' accounts or the disciples' accounts is with almost like a, a hopeful expectation, a kind of childlike joy about, is it possible to live like Jesus? How, how close can we get to seeing miracles every day or seeing breakthrough every day? Um, okay, I know Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God. Um, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And so I feel like there's still an opportunity that he's delegated to believers to receive the Holy Spirit and to step out in faith and see the kingdom come. So, three things in, in this text. Collision, compassion, command. First of all, I don't know if you spotted, there's two big crowds coming. You had the one big crowd that was following Jesus. They're excited. They've seen a miracle with a centurion's son, uh, and they're off to the next city or the next town, village, um, and they're crossing the hillside. The other ones have just witnessed uh, a widow, so who's already lost her husband, has now lost her only son. In that context, that culture, most likely, if she's a, a poor widow especially, she's then very vulnerable to exploitation. Um, without a social, just, um, social care system, she's essentially lost her pension, her healthcare, her accommodation for the future. So she puts herself in a real vulnerability situation, and the whole village has seen that, and lost that. There's almost that sense of injustice in that whole village that they're moved to mourning and they're coming out with her um, and, and in, in great sadness. But you see this picture almost on that hillside as, as Jesus and his crowd approaches the village and, and the mourners come out of that village to see Jesus. 
what's going to happen? Like, you've got uh, this, the light of life himself coming up to uh, interface with death. And in Old Testament times, the, the kind of righteous Jews, if you like, didn't want to go anywhere near a funeral pile because then they wouldn't be able to go into temple because they'd be ritually unclean. But Jesus just thinks from a totally different worldview. He, he comes and flips the script and he says, actually, like, greater is me, like, greater is the life that I carry. I'm going to speak into death and, um, and write the injustice. Um, but, I mean, Jesus is amazing, obviously, but the, the, the injustice and the rightful mourning isn't lost in him. He's still able to come with amazing compassion and speak to her heart and ten, with tenderness and comfort um, the mother. But he also can't deny himself. When he's moved with that um, gut-wrenching compassion, so it's the kind of the deepest compassion you can have, he's not just content to go in and give her a cuddle or to bring flowers or to bring her pay his last respects with the rest of the mourners. He's too aware of the possibilities of heaven. So when he sees something in front of him that he can tell is, just, is an injustice, that something has happened where this shouldn't have been, he's so aware of what his heavenly father can do that he wants to stand in the gap and say, no, no, not on my watch. Um, he, but he does it with comfort, yes, and then he steps into commanding. So there's that collision of heaven and earth, of, of life and death. He has compassion to be able to, to minister and to love and to move and, and not just walk by. But then he has the audacity and the boldness uh, and the tenderness to know what Father God is saying, to be able to command from heaven to earth and to say, arise. What did he say? Young man, I say to you, arise and live. And up gets the man and he gets to go and give him back to his, his mother and restore justice in that community give her protection again give her a future and a hope again of course like when this happens like the whole village is then amazed and and word spreads just like in jim yost's uh, testimony like when that kind of resurrection miracle happens or that supernatural breakthrough happens the opportunity to share jesus becomes so much more free-flowing and simple and easy it, it doesn't mean something we have to try to think oh this really is a good idea i really should go and talk to my neighbor about jesus it's like we might hear that our neighbours got a sick child, but we just prayed for our child and they got well. So it's like, well, I should go and offer that prayer to, to the sick child next door and ask God to move there as well. So I realise any story where Jesus is moving is pretty challenging. Like To try and kind of hear what he's doing and saying and then think, okay, what can I do about that? What are you asking me to do? It's going to be pretty challenging. I mean, one note of comfort, if we can see that Jesus can raise someone from the dead, like have confidence that he can move in your situation too. Like he's got enough power to do that. But what can we do about it? I, I don't want to simplify this too far, but I also want to make it accessible enough for us to engage with. This notion of living naturally supernatural is a phrase I really like. Um, and then there's three steps essentially to it. Pausing, hearing, and doing. Um, and a, a quick story of this uh, from our Impact Sunday this, this, week, this weekend. So yeah, um, earlier on this morning. So a colleague of one of the group um, recently lost a parent. And um, that was unexpected and has, has kind of devastated the family there, obviously. Um, so that member of the group was then praying, hey, what do I do about it? He, he paused and, and asked God, okay, what's our action meant to be 
with Impact Sunday coming up, he then shared that with a group and, and um, shared the idea he had as well. So the idea he had was to make them a meal. It's simple, it, it's practical. That's the, the natural bit. So as a community, we got together, made the meal for them. And then the, the supernatural bit, as we then start to do is, right, with this meal, what are we going to, like, we, we gathered around and we prayed and we declared and we, and we prayed for God to move when they eat this meal, for comfort to come, for understanding to come, for reconciliation to happen. Whatever the ideas and, and impressions God gave us whilst we were praying, we declared that over the meal. So we listened to God, we, we paused, we heard what God, we felt God was saying, and then we declared it. We, we did what we felt God was saying to do. Now it's back to the member of our community to, to go and deliver that meal to him. And I'm intrigued how that conversation goes when we, he rocks up and says, here, we made you a supernatural meal. I hope it blesses your family. But um, Yeah, that's, I guess, an invitation and challenge to us all that, that the opportunities are there around us. It, it's being willing to pause long enough to, to see what they are. Um, then to challenge ourselves to hear beyond the natural, to not just see what can I do to, to love my neighbour in a in a safe, natural, Cambridge-loving way. What does it actually look like if heaven invaded this place? And um, what does it look like if, if all the stories and the promises that we read in the Bible actually came true in Cambridge? What would that look like? Um, and then to be dare God to ask the question, okay, God, what do you want me to do about it? Like, do you want me to be part, like a conduit, be a channel of you ministering in that situation? Um, in the Bible, it talks about the kind of yes and amen, almost hearing what God is saying and then just saying yes and amen to it. It's my favorite prayer to pray rather than trying to think, oh, what should I pray in this situation? Just stop, ask God, hear what he says and say, okay, yes and amen. I'm not going to stand in the way of that. Just send your angels, do your thing. Let's send your ministering spirits to, to make it happen. So, I'm going to skip a bit. Um, but I think one thing just to, to, to dwell on, because I don't know if this idea of praying from heaven to earth is, is a new idea for people, because I just want to encourage us that we're all sons and daughters of God. He is, we are his heirs, like we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, he, he won authority over the death. And then when he, he commissioned his disciples, he commissioned them to go and make disciples of other nations. And Mark's gospel finishes by saying to, to go and... Uh, preach the gospel to, to raise the dead to heal the sick to cast out demons kind of to do the the hardest stuff quote unquote but um, but it's what God's commissioned us to do and I don't know if, it, if so that idea of, of hearing God and then saying it might seem odd but we've all done it at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer it, it says um, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in those two sentences, we're saying, okay, whatever's happening in heaven, come make it here. Like, whatever your will is, come and do it here. Whatever your kingdom is, come and manifest that around us. And so this is now just a, an invitation, a challenge to actively engage with that more in our prayer life and then in our, our lived out lives. What are we going to step out and do? So when we've stopped long enough to hear God, to receive um, life from death, to allow him to, to step into our hearts enough, um, to, to trump the death in us with life, then to hear his compassion and compassion that goes beyond a hug and also goes into a healing and actually into a supernatural step and then to be able to declare it and do it, to command what we've heard God say in heaven. So, when we partner with that, obviously, 
I'm expectant that we'll see lots of miracles happen, and that's going to be fun. And the more we live in, from that place of encountering God, doing it with him, and then seeing it happen, the, the natural overflow is then to be, to be sharing the goodness of God with the people around us. And this is what I think brings life to our, our strapline as a church. To be followers of Jesus, sharing the goodness of God with everyone, only works when we're encountering God, we know his goodness, and we're seeing it manifest around us, then it naturally overflows and bubbles out. And the end of this passage is just the way it is. Like the news of Jesus in this miracle raced through the whole of Cambridge and the entire surrounding region. That's my prayer, and that's that we would be um, what would happen coming off uh, tonight. But bringing this into a response, I'm conscious we're likely in, in one of two places. Either there's a sense of... Um, you feel a weight of injustice in your own life, like something's happening um, to you or in you that doesn't feel right, whether that's a mental health battle or whether that's some oppression from a, a relationship. Um, you're, you'll feel like you're the mother in this situation, that actually something that was rightfully yours has been ripped away from you and you want it back. Um, or it's not been given to you and it should have been. In that place, you're waiting for a miracle from God and my invitation to you and the challenge is not to um, get bitter, but is to choose to hear what God is saying in that situation and declare with him and partner with him in doing it. Listen to what God is asking you to do and step out and do that, whether that's building up a habit or speaking to someone or whatever the kind of the practical steps are, he's going to give you grace to do that. Um, I don't know if this is common to people, but generally whether it's condemnation or conviction, condemnation will, will come with, will give you a sinking feeling like you can't do anything about it. When conviction comes, it's going to give you that power to do something about it and to change the way you think and to change your behaviour. So if you're struggling to think whether I'm being condemned or convicted, then that, hopefully that's a helpful way marker. So on one side, you might be feeling that sense of injustice and, and you want God to break through. On the other side, you might be feeling excitement that I, or um, a kind of you're in that crowd of people following Jesus and you can see that the possibilities are really endless and you want to see more of that in your life and so then for you the invitation is cool okay like see the injustice around you see the problems that need solving and again pause long enough to hear what God is saying to be moved with compassion and then step out and do something about it declare the word of God so if I can invite the band up um, I'll segue into this but I want us to um, take time now to pause. I think that's the beauty of coming to church on Sundays is we leave the washing up, we leave um, the meal rotor, we leave the babies in bed, um, the monitors aren't with us. And we can pause and have that um, space to listen. Um, yeah, so I encourage you to, to take this time to listen and then we'll respond from that place onwards to, to then anything we've felt God say and um, I'm going to pray that God will give us an action plan as well. It won't just be a kind of uh, a comforting word, but there'll be a bit of a, a step that we should do about it, whether that's declaring something out loud, whether that's going and praying for someone, whether that's going and asking someone to pray for us. Um, they're all good steps. Um, but I hope that you leave tonight feeling your faith built up, that God is able to move, and he's able to move in the simple things and, and the really big things. Um, like the, the natural... Christian life is one to be amazed and it's okay to live a, an awesome life. Like, um, I'm aware of times in my life, like the, the testimony I shared, like where God has, has shown up and provided in ways that I could never have imagined. Um, 
And I think, the, like I said at the beginning, the more we risk, the, the more joy there is because we really do see God step, step out and step up for us. Um, but yeah, if you're happy just to start twinkling and then I'll say some prayers, that'd be great. Thank you.